So I just hit record, Charles. So I think what we should do, you were a guest on Two Beers with Steve a long time ago, Charles. And uh, yeah. And Steve Patterson's been on the podcast. He had this cool podcast where he'd have his guests on. He'd drink beer and you would drink beer. So in honor of you, Steve Patterson, if you're listening, what beer What beer do you have today, Charles? Uh, well, I'm uh, right now I'm drinking a Pyramid IPA. Um, and Pyramid has a has a local brewery here in uh, Berkeley, but it's based in uh, Seattle and and uh, and Portland. So, but um, yeah, Pyramid IPA. What what have you got um, open? I have Mad Tree Brewing Company out of Cincinnati, Ohio. It's uh, it's called Gnarly Brown. That's a brown ale. It's seven percent. So. I already drank one, so I'm 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 feeling pretty good. I ate I ate a chorizo burger with uh with some some salad. I'm trying to get back on the, you know, it's easy so easy to get away like being busy. We were talking before we started recording how busy we are, and it's like it's so easy to get away from like being healthy. But it's like man, I gotta I gotta be healthy if I'm gonna drink beer. I gotta eat 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 my greens, eat my clean food, and um. So, but anyways, Charles. Uh. <laughs> well, I'm I'm a little I'm a little behind you because I'm this is only six point three percent. So, <laughs> so we usually do these in the morning. Um, usually, it's like first thing Saturday or Sunday morning. We've been we've been recording podcasts for, and I think this is also like our. I think this is right about a year from when we started recording the first time. And um, I tell you what, uh, for anybody, let me give you a quick introduction. I need to do the proper Charles Hugh Smith introduction. So if you're listening and you don't know who Charles Hugh Smith is, well, now you do. And this is what you need to do. You need to go to his website, of2minds.com. I noticed that you just got your mobile platform up. Um, I am still a subscriber to the RSS feed. I use it in Outlook at work. So we're not supposed to browse the web at work. So what do I do? I put RSS feeds in Outlook. I bet you didn't know you couldn't do that, guys, but you can. You can subscribe to Of Two Minds blog through Outlook. That's what I use. Feedly is a great tool. Um, I've been reading this week all about China currency devaluation and uh, what's really going on with the Chinese economy. Charles always has this great perspective. Um, and also, uh, just truly enjoy your blog. Charles is, Charles is also an author. So what you need to do, you need to go to his website. You can purchase his books there. You can also go on Amazon. Uh, if you are a Prime member, Charles actually has his books <clears throat> on the Kindle. He has a lot of his books on the new Kindle Unlimited. So you can actually read his books for free. That's how what kind of guy Charles is. But I would recommend that you purchase his books and read them. His most recent book was Get a Job, the to Build a Real Career, and Defy a Bewildering Economy. I always trip up on that title, but it's a great book. So, with that being said, Renaissance man, Mr. Charles Hugh Smith, how you doing today, sir? Good, true. Well, thank you for the uh, glowing introduction. I, I should um, add here that that Renaissance man part requires decades of being poor. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, if you don't um, like what I call voluntary poverty, you know, you know, you really can't be a Renaissance person in today's economy because what corporations and the government wants you to do if you work for them is specialize, 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 and, you know, um, get in there, work, um, hard if, if it's private industry, not work hard if it's for the government, but you still got to show up and, um, do one thing. 
And uh, that that's what's so deadening about um, a lot of those jobs is just doing one thing gets boring and you're not adding to your skill set and what we call your social and human capital. And that's one of the things I really um, enjoy uh, talking about um, what you're doing, Drew, is that you are doing precisely what I always like recommend in my books, which is you're building human and social capital. And what we mean by that is human capital is like what you bring to the table as an as a unique individual, like the skills you've acquired, um, your experience, you know, your problem solving based on on um, your mistakes and and um, failures in the past, and and those are all critical. You know, those are how we solve problems is based on our experience, not just our training, but you know how we've solved problems in the past. Social capital is who you know, your networks, because you know if you look at so-called movers and shakers in 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 whatever industry it is. It could be permaculture. It doesn't have to be, you know, technology or politics, any, any kind of field. It's like the people who are the movers and shakers have this huge uh, network of contacts that um, help them and they help everybody else in the network, right? That's what mentoring is about and that's what social capital is. And so, you know, my, my example is if you move to a new city and you don't have any um, friends there or any contacts, you're really at zero in social capital. And that's a tough spot, right? Whereas if you move someplace and you even have a few contacts and they have a big circle of contacts, you can pretty quickly get some housing, you know, maybe find a job, you know, all based on these networks. So that's what the economic term for that is social capital. And so you are developing networks of social capital and you're adding like a huge amount to your skill set in, you know, comedy, uh, you know, comedy clubs, um, permaculture, you know, taking over a a worthless junkie a lot and and uh, battling the city no, yeah saying. battling the city <laughs> i wish it wasn't so hard but anyways bring me up to date on, well, on on those projects yeah so last time we had this great podcast about ground up innovation um usually i try to pick your brain and we try to talk about things um in the economy but you know we've kind of shifted a lot of gears and i think it's because you know, through our conversations, you know, I just want to say, you know, it, it, for me, what what's great about this podcast and having guests on is I don't want to be full of shit. Like I don't, and it's like so. Whenever I talk to people like you or people that like, uh, you know, in my like social network and guests, like, like I might not have the best podcast following or the biggest podcast, but like I want people to know, like, hey. I'm the, you know, I'm a real guy and I'm trying to make a difference. I'm trying to do shit out there. So, so these comedy shows that we've been doing in Toronto and now we're going to really start doing them here too. Um, so we have um, a couple things. So we're bringing out Miss Pat to Toronto. Um, we're going to be opening up the Corner Comedy Club. My friend Joe Tichito, Um, it's been his sole project in reality. I mean, back when I was doing network marketing um, and not making any money but learning a whole lot and alienating all my friends and family. Um, you know, some, something I took away was that you had to have a why that made you cry. And for Joe, that was the comedy club. And, like, for Joe, this has been his dream. And, like, for me, like, I think the reason why I've been able to be involved in so many things is because I'm never the deal. Like, I'm never the guy that's, 
that you know I, I contribute, I make ideas, I, I definitely carry my workload, but I'm never the deal. Like it's never my sole project, um, except for like my public lot in my backyard right now, um, in this podcast. But so like I'm never the deal. Like I always have a partner. I always have like really skilled people with me. So I I want to make sure I give these people credit. Um, so our first show is coming up uh, the first weekend in September. We're flying out Miss Pat, who's still a really rel- relatively unknown comic, but she's super funny. And uh, the cool thing about where the comedy club is, is there's this history in Toronto where it's called Speaker's Corner. And they, they had this thing where you could go and record and get on public TV if they liked. And y- you would pay like a dollar and you would have your little moment of fame. And some people actually got famous from this. Um, they got famous in Canada and then they, and they got famous in in the United States, and they kind of made it big in their in their in their art field. So that's it's right on that corner. So that's why it's the Corner Comedy Club, and you know, um, so we're excited. So that's uh, Joe's, you know, been been really working hard on the construction end of it. He was actually a construction worker by trade uh, and a carpenter, just like uh, just like you, Charles. And uh, so he's been uh, getting this stuff done, and um, so that's one thing. Um, then we have some comedy shows. We, we had, we had a show in a big show in Toronto before and we just booked. Um, so we have, uh, Dean Del Rey. We're going to fly him out to Columbus and, uh, take him to Pittsburgh as well. So we have that, that's coming up the weekend of the 18th. So that's the comedy business. And then the food business, um, that's still like the most exciting. Like that's my, I feel like that's my sole project personally. Like for me, it's like something that's just infected me and it's changed, you know, my podcast. It's changed the way I look at the world. It's changed so much of what I've been doing um, because it's, you know, we were talking before, um, you know, I, I got my garden going in the back, and it's it's you know you guys can look at the pictures on Facebook if you're listening, um, and if you're not my friend, just friend me and tell me you like the show if you listen because um, it'd be great to hear that. And uh, so, but you can see um, the work that I did. So it was just this uh, back, just my backyard, and I did uh, a lot of raised soil beds. So I tilled, and uh, I kind of I don't know. Now that I've done it, like and learned a lot more, I think I would have, I would have done a couple things differently, but it still worked out really well. And I and I put wood chips along um, the sides of the beds to try to suck in the water. But I kind of there's still some things now that I've been studying permaculture for a while that I would have done a little bit differently. Um. So, but I did get seeds in the ground. <clears throat> I did uh, let my eggplants and peppers die because we had we've had so much rain this year in Columbus, like. All the rain that you guys haven't been getting in California, we have gotten in in Ohio. So I mean, it we got so much, and then it finally started being summer, and I forgot that you need to water plants or they'll die. And my peppers and eggplants died. Um, my radishes did really well. My eggplant and or my zucchini and cucumbers look really strong. My cantaloupe plants are doing really well. Um, the public lot, I've been doing some work. That I did have a little bit of run in with the uh, guy at the city. Um, but like, I kind of I kind of got mean through an email and he apologized and I apologized. And then he did drive by and I got to, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm kind of worried that he's not going to let me keep that lot for next year. But if he doesn't, so what? Like I, I put in a lot of work and I still made a little bit of a difference in my community. Um, 
But so that's that. There is a nonprofit that I'm now the my co-director of, and that's not really my project. I'm more of a, you know, I want it. I want to be a part of it, obviously, because I'm a co-director. But you know, my friend Wade is really kind of heading it, and I'm trying to help help him stay focused with it. Um, but there's a lot of planning. I think we're still trying to figure out exactly what we're we want to do with it, and um, you know, so I, I think that's. That's still in process. Um, I think there's we need to have a lot more meetings. We're, we want to do some stuff with schools and teach them about permaculture and aquaponics. And we also want to do some stuff with veterans because a lot of these guys that I'm doing um, the farmer's market with, like my good friend Joel, uh, the farmer's market's been great. So uh, the farmer's market, actually, we've been doing really well. We've learned a lot from what what how we how we're going to grow stuff next year um i'm gonna invest in some tools here soon um i think we're really gonna focus on a couple crops um i really think we're gonna shift our gears and focus a lot on selling to restaurants in the future but you know it's our first year and it's great we're we're there every weekend we don't always you know we don't always have a bunch to sell i think you know we're still getting all of our plots of land ready um because we have a little co-op amongst uh, a few of us and my land you know, is really just getting ready. So that's been, that's been a lot of fun. So, I mean, just to kind of get us caught up to speed. Um, oh, and, uh, I adopted some cats and now I have eight cats because the one was pregnant <laughs> Oh my God! and she had six kittens, man. And, uh, I just spent like $200 on cat toys and, and everything, but <laughs> I love these cats. I haven't had a pet the whole, my whole adult life, Charles. And now I have eight cats and I'm finding homes for, for cats so that's what's that's what's going on. Um, you know, a couple things like that I've adjusted. I, I guess in just with composting, what I would recommend uh, after you know, just like what you said earlier about you know building my social capital. So getting the other guests on, like you know, I, I I've had a pleasure of having you on as like a regular guest because I, I I get a lot of our conversations and you get a lot of our conversations and um and so one thing is just you know talking to these guys and picking their brains. One thing that uh, my friend Paul Wheaton said was, you know, composting is great, but in reality, it takes a lot of time if you don't want to turn it all the time. And then most of that just goes back up to the atmosphere. So it would be better to feed it to an animal. So like a pig or a chicken or worms. So I was composting a lot and it was getting smelly. And they always say if you're if it smells bad, you're doing something wrong. So I, uh, I started vermicomposting, so I got some peat moss and an 18-gallon plastic bin, and I took some worms, and I stuck them in some watermelon because my friend gave me worms, and apparently watermelon is Viagra for worms. And then so I've been, just been, <laughs> which I didn't know, so if anybody that's listening or Charles, if you want to start some vermicomposting, um, that will help your worms breed, so... So that's that's pretty much up to date. You know, I've read a lot of books. I'm interviewing a lot of guys with permaculture, um, trying to help out my guests that I have on the show, as I always do. And, uh, you know, just like you said, you know, continuing to build my social capital, networking in the city. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot more podcasts with guys in the city. There's a business in the city, Charles, called Rain Brothers. And they'll convert an old house and retrofit it to run off rainwater, which is pretty cool. So, and they do some other stuff too, like they'll install cisterns and help you with rain barrels and everything else like that. So, um, and then there's some uh, other local urban farms, and we're all trying to network. Um, so Joseph uh, Joseph Swain, he's got Swainway Farms, so I'm going to have him on as well. And uh, 
So that is everything as I could that I could put it in, and uh, and that was about ten minutes, Charles. So uh, hopefully uh, that was a pretty quick uh, up to date of everything that I have going on. And I'm sure I forgot stuff, but um, yeah, it's it's been fun. It's I like staying busy, and uh, I've been learning just so much, man. Like it's it's been it's been a, a great year. Yeah, no, I'm I. Uh... I will make a few comments just on um, just as an observer and um, as a friend who's who's followed you as you've gotten into these things. One is um, if you need to um, pound on the city guy by telling him that that you you told your friend about what an a hole he's being, <laughs> and there's there's like a blog with a half a million page <laughs> views a month that's going to totally ream him out on the national stage. And the city of Columbus is going to be pounded. So why doesn't he get with a program? And, you know, I, I, I usually don't pull that kind of PR, um, except if it's like if somebody's really not being um, like the way they should be with everybody. You know, in other words, this guy should be serving the citizenry of Columbus. Never mind, you know, who we are as individuals. And if he's not, then then I use the power of the blog and, and uh, the blogosphere to like pound on these guys. And I've um, had tremendous results with this. Like for instance, there was a, some people wrote me and said this, the state of California was basically acting like a financial Nazi regime. Like if they suspected you owed them money because you still had a bank account in the state, even though you moved away years ago, they would like uh, take the entire account whatever, however many thousands of dollars you had in the account, they would simply grab it and not ask you f to verify that um, you had income still in California or anything. They'd just grab it. Then they'd contact you and say, you, we think you, you owe us money. And it's all like, well, wait a minute, where's the due process of law in this? Yeah. There's absolutely none. So I, I just reamed them, you know, just pounded them. Um, for a couple of uh, blogs and um, because of the national audience, I got an immediate email after the first one from some representative of the tax board in, in California. Oh, I'm available to help all your poor readers. And <laughs> like, yeah, okay, well, that's a good step. And that, that individual, uh, that gentleman has been helpful to, I, because then I got dozens of emails from people who'd been jacked around and basically their assets stolen by the state of California in the exact same place. You know, they moved to some other state three years ago and because they had a bank account still in California, their money's taken by the state and they don't even make any money in California anymore. They don't owe California a cent and yet California takes their money. So anyways, if this guy becomes um, uncooperative, <laughs> he should be, then let's well, just, let's just, uh, rip him you know we'll and sick, we'll rip the, the city on him yeah yeah we will sick a national audience on him so and, and that's really what um the media is for really you know yeah. the media i mean we think of the of the mainstream media as um uh, it's basically a propaganda tool for the people who own it and so that's where the blogosphere is quite refreshing is um you know the idea of the media should be if you're saying something that everybody agrees with and, and everybody in power loves, you're not saying anything useful. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, the whole idea Absolutely. here is, is to say the things that, don't, that people don't want to hear because they're true. So 
if the city, I mean, I'm kind of annoyed myself just, just hearing it because the city of Columbus should be, number one, minting you a medal and everybody else who takes over an abandoned lot, they should be giving you support, free dumpsters, um, yeah. and, and, and they should be doing a lot to help you instead of obstructing. Well, it's weird because they start to. Like the city forester was giving me free wood chips and like because that soil was so bad. And like as you've seen like in the pictures, like I've spread a couple piles of wood chips. And what started it was my second pile, old boy just drove by. And he didn't get out of his car, and he wrote an email. It's the same pile of wood chips, and I lost my shit. Like, it was the first – it was actually at our first nonprofit event that we had, which um, that's a whole other thing because the place where we had it, they didn't – they still haven't paid us the money that they were supposedly going to pay us. So uh, we might have to stick the blogosphere on them too, Charles. <laughs> but uh, Glad to be of service. Yeah, but anyways – uh, what was funny was, uh, you know, I said, like, basically my approach to him was, well, he works for the city. So instead of fighting him, I'm just going to let him know that he offended me and that he pretty much, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm astonished by his lack of respect for me. And then he changed his tone. And then he said, you know, I, I've just had so many people that they would get a lot. It's just the same pile of wood chips. And I was like, all right, well, whatever. So then this time he drove by and he goes, and it's like, he always like, then he's like, well, where is your, your home Depot stuff? Because we got like $250 to spend. And that was just this huge clusterfuck. Like you can only use this one home Depot in the city. And I didn't have a truck at the time and they didn't have like half the people's orders that we ordered. So they didn't have it in stock. And so I he was like, where's that stuff? Because they told him that I got my stuff and I never did. So I gotta I gotta hit up Home Depot. So I think I don't think he'll be a problem. I think that um, you know, I think it will be okay. Uh I think it's funny, like all the neighbors that like I don't know, everybody tries to tell me while I'm working on it that they're gonna buy it and they don't understand that I have like an agreement with the city that <laughs> to take care of it. Which is funny, um, but yeah, I mean, if he does, like, let's 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 pull the teeth out of the of two minds audience, just sick them on him, and let him know <laughs> what's up. Um, but uh, yeah, I think. Oh, excuse me. I'm this, uh, but I, you know, it's uh, man, I'm not used to podcasting and drinking beer, Charles. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, I think the uh, you know. I think that something that you were saying about the media that made me think of this is like the man, like the presidential elections are coming on, man. And it's like, these are really people that like the, the choices are so bad. It's like Trump is like Donald Trump is the most popular right now because he's just hitting on pain points. that's popular to talk about and nobody like, and he's so anti supposedly fake anti-establishment and it's like, I guess like now that like I've been an observer for long enough, it's like you can see what they're actually doing and it's just the show. And um, I, I don't know why when you said the media, it made me think of that. Um, and like not just Donald Trump, but all these presidential candidates. And it's just a joke because in reality, voting for any of those clowns, you're not going to make a difference in anything. Like it doesn't change anything. 
you know, if you think about if you get involved in your local community or you support like restaurants that that support local, you know, getting local suppliers of meat or local suppliers of beer, or you go and you support your your local microbreweries or craft breweries or local small businesses, non-chains, it's like that when you vote with your dollar, it's so much more powerful than and I think that's always our message. And uh, and I think this beer might be taking over, Charles, because I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. So, <laughs> no, it, it all sounds clear to me. Well, um, yeah, let's let's follow that thread a little bit. And um, I I thought it was terrific that you interviewed Marvin. Uh, He's awesome. With um, who is interesting character because he you know as as listeners know splits his time between the U.S. and Japan. And I want to speak a little bit about Japan because. Um, uh, you know, I speak a little, um, Japanese, studied it in college and visited there and, um, studied the culture and pretty, and have a lot of friends in Japan. Um, so Nihongo Hanashimasu, um, Tsurushi, you know, I speak a little Japanese. And so what, I'm, I'm sure he's much better than I am, um, at Japanese, but what I want to share is... You know, Japan has this image in the West of, you know, neon lights in Tokyo, right? Pretty much. Yeah. And then, uh, like, extremely urban, which is true. And and then it has, like, some, um, you know, really neat old wooden temples in Kyoto and stuff like that. But what Japan has that you only really see if you go there is a bunch of villages. And in other words, there's a, um, a very deep-rooted uh, rural culture there where there's a lot of like little small villages with fishing ports and the markets open at five in the morning and you know people come and buy fish and and the people still raise uh grow rice you know although they often use machines now because there's nobody that wants to do that kind of really difficult labor and so you know the u.s also um has long uh you know traditions in in uh, rural self-sufficiency but a lot of that's been lost um, because of um, agribusiness um, can grow stuff so much cheaper than family farms, at least in terms of grains and so on. And so, you know, a lot of rural areas are kind of dying on the vine because they're young people. There's no opportunity there. It's hard to make a living as a farmer. You have to scale up and start growing like, you know, 500 or 1,000 acres yourself if you want to make a go of it. Um and then, like, there's a lot of younger people who are trying um, smaller scale um, agriculture, but then one of the family, you know, one of the household has to have a regular job usually because it's it's hard, it's really hard work, and it's hard to make a lot of money at it. And so, um, there's a term that uh, I read that I think is really nails it, which is um, self exploitation. What that means is a lot of these people who are engaged in small-scale agriculture are making like five bucks an hour for their labor. In other words, less than minimum wage. And if they did that to somebody else, they'd be violating labor laws. <laughs> but if you do it to yourself, it's okay. So, but you know, that's 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 a risk of of growing real food because you have to have people who will be willing to pay a premium for it. And so that's where I want to I want to follow up on your idea of of tying into restaurants because um, – and uh, here in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, there's a couple of very famous uh, restaurants that have been around for decades that, that, that were one of the um, – each of these was 
one of those restaurants in the in the nation that started this trend of buying fresh stuff every day and that actually basing their menu on what their uh, farm suppliers had. And that's um, Chez Panisse in, in Berkeley and Greens in uh, San Francisco, which is a famous uh, vegetarian restaurant. And so this is this is a system that works because a restaurant's um, charging a premium, right, for preparing really good food, right? So, you know, if you're charging 20 bucks or, or more for a meal, then you can afford to pay a premium to the people growing your food. And that includes uh, raising your, your, your meat as well, right? That Absolutely. The meats are- so... This is a system that works because the average consumer might go, well, you know, I don't really feel like paying, um, you know, 20 bucks a pound for um, grass-fed organic beef because I'm just not wealthy enough. But if you're going to go out to eat, then you're not eating a very big portion, usually a few ounces of meat and, you know, vegetables and stuff. So the, it works because the, the restaurant can afford to pay a premium to the person growing the food. So I'm, I'm totally in favor of, of your networking in that regard. Yeah, and, and I'm going to have uh, – I'm interviewing Curtis Stone um, Monday. And Curtis – like there's actually two Canadians that are really doing small-scale farming in a really big way. Like the first one is uh, Jean-Martin Forti uh, or JM. He's been on Peak Prosperity as well. Um, he's got this book called The Market Gardener. He's been on the podcast. Uh, I just – I. I found that there's this great YouTube channel, Living Web Farms. So if anybody's into, you know, natural farming, um, which I guess is because organic is really doesn't have, it's really been a, a an alienated word for what it was originally used for. Um, but he has this whole presentation. He talks about, you know, cro- the way he does his crops. And he's got this really great book called The Market Gardener. And he makes his money through CSA. So a CSA... For anybody that doesn't know yet, um, is basically you you pre-order. Basically, you get people pre-order and pay you in advance for your food. So we're kind of nervous about that because we're still young. We're still new at this. Like he before he started doing that, he'd been working on farms uh, before he had his own for a while, and so he knew what to do and he could hit the ground running. And we're not in that situation now. Curtis Stone is in British Columbia and uh, JM's in Montreal and Curtis Stone makes the majority of his money in an urban urban settings just like what we're doing. Um, JM has his own, he grows on like two and a half, two acres, um, two and a half acres and it's all like hundred, uh, hundred foot beds and I mean, if you look them up, I mean, the, the living web farms I post, like for people that aren't like aware, I post on my Facebook so you can, you can take a look but the way he does it is it's it's awesome. I mean, it's it's definitely um, permaculture influenced, and uh, and then Curtis, um, like his stuff, it's not that much. It's less than that, and oh yeah, and Jam makes about his his business makes about one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, um, and he has two employees, and his wife and him are able to pay themselves salaries from it, and it's like a decent like you know they they can pay their mortgage. It's about in their business payments. And you know they live a pretty nice, resilient life in in a sense. They do what they want to do. They don't have to work in the winter time. He's wrote a book. He's got other avenues he's built on, and um and then Curtis, um, he's all in the city. He bikes a lot, and he mainly sells to restaurants. And he's built relationships with chefs, 
Um, there's a lot of locally local re- restaurants there that like a lot of chefs actually really like to get local ingredients because it's so much better. Whether it be eggs, uh, vegetables, I mean, it's it's always tastes better. Um, and so, luckily here in Columbus, that um, that sense of local economy, getting locally sourced food, people wanting to eat locally sourced food, you know, it's it's picked up in Cleveland. It's really picking up in Columbus. Um, you know, so it's it's exciting. I think that's something that Ohio needs. Like Ohio is, you know, we're most of Ohio used to be industri- industry and ag- and big agriculture, but big agriculture is being exploited. Big industries it disappeared. Um, especially, I mean, my dad just retired from Jeep in Toledo. The Jeep plant's going to close because it's going to be less money for them to retool. It's going to be less of money for them to build a brand new plant than it is for them to retool a plant. So they're just going to pretty much liquidate all these people's jobs. Um, and, and to stay on focus, but though, like that's something that Ohio needs. And I think like for me, like we've talked a lot about how my love of Columbus, Columbus is really a city that's not, it's different. Like you would think when you come to Columbus, if there is a similar vibe that what you would get in, on the West coast or in a more like, I, you know, the way people think when you say progressive, um, you know, sometimes that word has a negative connotation, but it really is a progressive city in the sense that it's it's always growing, it's always adapting, it's always, you know, and, and, and it's still not that big. It's still small enough to where you can still be in the driver's seat versus like going to a place like New York City or Los Angeles where you're just kind of like a grain in the sand. You know what I mean? So I'm 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 excited. Like I think uh, once we really know what um, you know what we can grow, once we really get our land in line, like I I have all confidence in my abilities to build relationships with chefs and for eggs, for really for salad. I mean, a lot of people don't grow lettuces, and we the mescaline mix that we grow um, it, that Joel really does is it's delicious. I mean, like I. My second round of doing that that whole thirty thing, um, I I felt so much better because all the ingredients I was getting I was buying locally. Like you know that's the nice thing about the farmers market. We don't grow onions or garlic, but there's this uh, there's another farmer that does. So we buy stuff from them. There's I mean it's really a, a great environment. Like it's been a great networking environment, but it's also it's like it's 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 the only thing that I've ever sold. Um, where people thank me for doing what I'm doing. And it's not, you know, like, even to sell my stepmom's art, like, people are, like, are excited to get it. But it's not like food. It's not like food. Like, when you are growing, when I can say to somebody that this this food was grown, you know, three blocks away, you know, that's a lot more powerful, you know what I mean, than anything that I've ever really done. So I think that's, to go back to it, that's why it's really, like, my soul project in a sense, if that makes sense. Sorry, I feel like I've been long-winded again, Charles. No, no, not at all. Well, I think that you, um, you know, those those listeners who haven't actually grown something um, other than, you know, like mold between the tiles and the bathroom, <laughs> um, you get a sense of pride and accomplishment and um, because, I mean, the plants want to grow, right? So we're, we're just sort of their caretakers. It's not like we're really doing anything. We're just like providing them with the, the necessities kind of that they need to do their thing, kind of like 
raising children or something. You provide them with, with the essentials of what they need and, you know, they, they grow up on their own, right? And so, um, but there is a sense of pride and an accomplishment when you grow stuff that you know is healthy because you've, you know, cared for the soil and people light up when you share it with them, whether you sell it or give it away, some of each, you know, and um, it's, it, there's a lot of joy in that, you know, and um, you, you've seen it and uh, I, and I know it too, because, um, and what's kind of odd is a lot of, um, there's a lot of young people here where I live, um, you know, college town like Columbus. And what's astonishing is um, how, f- how many people don't know what an actual vegetable plant looks like. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't know where, what is it, is it, what, what is that? And it's all like, well, I, I mean, it's like, well, duh, don't you see it's climbing and it has green beings have <laughs> hanging off of it, <laughs> you know, but they really, um, have no idea. And so that's part of what we're trying to do. I think is get people excited about growing and just give it a try. Even like, I mean, my garden is like, uh, or our garden because I share it, you know, my wife and I and some other people in our neighborhood come and plant a few things. I mean, it's like, I don't know, 15 by 20 feet or something. It's really a postage stamp, right? And it's surrounded by three, you know, a three-story building on one side. And, you know, it's not ideal, but even in that little tiny space, we've got a great peach tree and more green beans than we can eat or give away, tomatoes, chard, um, chard's looking really good, zucchini, um, great um, cucumber. I just made this, um, uh, they call it smashed cucumber. It's a Chinese um, fresh cucumber uh, dish where you basically hit the cucumber with uh, like a rolling pin or something and kind of bust it up and then you put in some um, garlic and some other stuff and it makes a great, it's uh, delicious. Yeah. And so anyways, <laughs> uh, I could, I could really bore the audience just talking about my little postage stamp garden. I don't think so. I don't think it's boring <laughs> at all. You know, what I've been using zucchini for is, uh, and squash was hash, like not hash, like the kind you smoke, but like when you make like hash brown type stuff, Yeah. um, you know, if I didn't have potatoes, it was like a similar thing that I could put in with the eggs and the, the peppers and, and uh, the bacon and all that stuff. And it's it's awesome for breakfast. I mean, like, and it's weird, too, for me because I'd have all these vegetables and I would even be like, well, what do I do with this? And it's like, well, you eat it. And it was like when I had a beet, uh, I didn't realize that I could just eat a beet raw. And then I ate like five of them raw and I was like, that was delicious. And, um, so it's, it's, it's weird. Um, it it is different. Like harvesting has been really fun. Um, I think because I don't, I haven't necessarily, I didn't get to help Joel plant because Joel's, Joel's really, I'm just getting on his coattails with this and, but I've, I've helped him harvest most Saturday mornings and we, and I'd be at his house at about 6 AM, 6 15 when we drive out to his dad's spot where he's got about an acre and uh, we'd, we'd harvest a bunch of green beans and we'd go back to his house, harvest a bunch of green beans, which green beans are delicious. Like, uh, and we even had some uh, heirloom green beans. So they were dragon's tail. So they were like uh, purple and white. And uh, they're just delicious, though. Like, I, I love green, raw, fresh green beans. Um, you know, not to get too boring, but you were talking about it. So I had to feel like, yes, I love <laughs> green beans. They're, they're so good. But it's it's like, you know, really. It's, it's weird because when you talk about it 
and you tell somebody about it that has that's not doing it, it's uh it's they don't understand. And it's and, and there's nothing that they do. It, the weirdest thing is is like everybody just asks me where the tomatoes are, and it's like they assume that because I have a garden, I must be growing tomatoes. And I'm like, well, I I started way too late for tomatoes, so there's absolutely zero tomatoes. So I'm sorry, you're not going to get any tomatoes. But I do have a tomato guy, so I brought them like a guy that I've networked with who grows a bunch of tomatoes. And he grows really well tomatoes. And um, and even, you know, we've looked, you know, and even just like knowing what I know about soil, like his soil doesn't even look as good as ours, but his tomatoes look way better. So it's it's been, um, you know, it's it's been a fun season, um, not just networking, but it's like there's really like this energy here in Columbus with, you know, urban farming and uh, growing food. And, it, and it's really, I really feel like it's starting to take off. And it feels good to be, you know, to be a part of it, to be, you know, just like what you said, to be, you know, I don't want to say I'm a leader because I don't, I don't really think I am. I think I'm just, just trying to do what I think is right. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm helping other people that are real leaders. Um, and so that, that's, that's rewarding. Um, but you know, it's, it's been a really, it, it, like I said, it's it's been a soul project in a sense. Like it's been really rewarding. I think not just like physically, but but in a spiritual way too. Like I think it's 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 um makes me feel grounded. It makes me appreciate things more. It really does make me look at the world differently. Absolutely, and you know, Drew. I, I mean, just to kind of bring in a larger focus, like um, because of course I I do write a lot about the global economy and all that stuff. But for me, it always comes back to um, these really basic questions, like one of them is, what is wealth, right? Yeah. And, we, and of course, we think, oh, it's money, right? Like you, you have a, a Trump Tower or whatever, or you're, you know, um, you know, Bill Gates giving away billions or whatever. But really, um, beyond a certain point, um, which is actually pretty low, according to studies, you know, once you have a decent shelter and you know a car that's reliable and you know this kind of middle class. Uh, a level of, of uh, security, um, which is becoming harder to get. But nonetheless, it's not like you have to be a multimillionaire to, to have, um, you know, the things that we care about. And beyond that, it all becomes intangibles. It becomes experience. It becomes um, your friends and family, your social capital, if you will. And so to me, one of the th- pleasures, if you will, of growing food, however small, doesn't, I mean, if you harvest a pound or two pounds from one plant, hey, that's good. You know, that's enough. It's, it's like, it's part of your health. And that's where, you know, when I look at America and I go, what is, what is one of our big problems? It's, it's our ill health, right? It's our poor health from not eating real food and not moving around. And of course, if you get out there and start gardening and cleaning up a yard. Hey, you're hustling. You're burning a ton of calories as you well know, right? Yeah. Shoveling trucks full of compost from this, uh, horse farm. <laughs> I got I mean, this, I, I bought this pickup truck for like a thousand dollars. That was something else I did. And it's been this amazing investment I did. Um, and it's, you know, filling up an eight foot bed because the, uh, the, the guy that owns the farm, is off Sundays and I've only been able to do it Sundays. So anyways, keep going, Charles. Sorry. No, no, no. And so I bet you you've lost weight and added muscle mass. Yeah. So I, 
I got down, I think I got down to like a total of like 30 pounds because the first time I did, I lost about 20 with whole 30 and then I kind of stayed in between. But then like, I feel like my body's changed. Um, recently, I gained more weight because I was drinking a lot more beer. And I think like I, I need to cut back on the drinking a little bit. But yeah, I feel healthier. I think uh, I did my, I had my blood levels checked and from doing from when we had first talked, when I had changed my diet, um, to now, like my glucose levels, triglyceride levels, cholesterol, which isn't really as important as people think it is, and uh, but there's another one that that was that, uh, glucose, triglycerides, um, all that stuff dropped dramatically, and I was already in a healthy range. Uh, my blood pressure came down as well, which I was also already in a healthy range, but my my glucose came down about forty points. My triglycerides came down about forty points. My uh, my cholesterol it was weird. Like my uh, my total cholesterol count lowered, and what was weird was you know after like learning what I'd learned, they had talked about um, they had talked about like your your uh, you know everybody thinks cholesterol is really like a big part of heart disease, but it's really your your blood triglycerides and your LDL ratio. Or your HDL to triglyceride ratio, not your HDL to LDL ratio. So there's like a lot of stuff, a lot of shenanigans that was going on. Like what was weird is like they even told me um, because they take your BMI too. And they're like, oh, this is invalid. But it's like, but you're still doing it. Interesting. Glad that this is a serious health screening. But anyways, not to like criticize people. But yeah, I mean like so like physical, like I sent my results to my doctor he said I was, you know, really healthy, and he was glad to see it. He's like, "I'll see you again in six. I'll see him in six months." So, um, it was, it was cool. It was very rewarding. It was rewarding to do something that a lot of like eat a certain way that to a lot of people is against what what they think you're supposed to, and then have rewarding. But then also like the exercise, like it's amazing the endurance that I have for shoveling now. When like somebody that looks more fit than me tries to shovel compost with me into the back of a truck and I just look at them and I remember when I felt the way they felt and it's like, man, I can keep going. Like, I feel yeah. great. Like I can shovel, I can keep shoveling. So, um, yes. but, uh, anyways, uh, I think, I don't know how long you want to record for more Charles. We usually try to keep it about 40, 46 minutes. I don't know if you want, do you want to go for a full hour or you want to wrap it up and talk off, off recording? Um, Let's um let me talk a little bit about China. Um just yeah. about about the same topics that we're talking about. Then then that'll be a good wrap that's, up. And, that's what you, I, w- I was hoping you wanted to talk about China. I'm not going to yeah. lie, so I'm glad that you said that. Yeah. So um so Drew, I want to kind of tie our conversation about health and um food and the the sense of what is wealth um uh, to what I've been writing about China, and I have visited China for some extended periods. Um, we have um, a lot of Chinese friends from, you know, the, what we call the PRC, uh, People's Republic of China, as opposed to Hong Kong and and Taiwan, because um, each of those cultures is considerably different from the others. And so, when we talk about China. Um, it's of course a huge country like the U.S., so it's got a lot of diversity and a lot of different geographies and so on. But what what I want to speak to is why am I uh, bearish or or um, 
down on China, and it's not from it's not the people or um, how hard they work, which is really hard, and 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 um, all that. What I th- what concerns me is like exactly the things we're talking about. They've poisoned their air, they've poisoned their soil, they've poisoned their water. So a lot of the food is poisoned, right? It's got heavy metals in it, um, and it's just not healthy. And so the Communist Party big shots. They have special farms that are organic, and they're, they're in the country, so they're far from industrial wastes. And so that tells you all you need to know about the way that the things are in China. You know, the communist big shots have their organic farms. Everybody else has to eat stuff that nobody even knows what's in it. And um, the farmers are not well paid there, you know, and so um, the villages are really poor. And it doesn't have to be that way, but that's the Communist Party's policy which is keep food cheap for the urban workers. And that means don't pay the farmers very much for what they grow. And so I think my point here is China is impoverished. I don't care how many glitzy high rises it builds on the coast. It's impoverished in this deeper senses of wealth, which is they've poisoned their land, water, and soil. They don't reward the people who actually grow the food and um, and it's a two-tier system. Like if you're at the very top of the power pyramid, you get healthy food. And if you're in the 99%, you're, you got to take your chances. And, and that is, um, that's a form of poverty that you can't measure with just money. And so when I, when I look at the U.S., I look at, yes, there are industrial wastes, but we um, are able to separate our agriculture from the industrial wastelands, right? Those are called Superfund sites. We don't grow food on them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And so we have a lot of – still have a lot of good soil and, um, and um, our air is so much cleaner than um, from the 70s. You know, like the United States invested hundreds of billions of dollars cleaning up water, soil, and air. And that's still an ongoing process. But we've uh, fortunately made a lot of progress. So we actually have access to healthy locally grown food. And so that's, that's part of what makes the United States a wealthy country. Not, not like how much money each, each person gets or, you know, median household income or how many cars you have. And, you know, that's all important in other ways. But what's really important is can you lead a healthy, fulfilling life? And, and having decent food is, and water is number one because you can't have – you can't be healthy if you have poisoned water and food. You know, your life is over. Yeah, I there's a – you posted some documentaries on your blog today. There's another one that's really good. And it was done by a Canadian, and it's and it's all about like the the technology waste. I think it was done in like two thousand. Like it came out in two thousand eleven, so it was filmed like back when all of our old trash was getting sent over to um, to China. And it shows these great pictures of, which is just kind of astounding. But it's not. Um, um, it's not. It's not astounding in a good way. It's uh, it's this, but it's man, it's this good documentary. I'm, I'm trying to look it up because my friend sent it to me the other day. It's called Manufactured Landscapes. Wow. And uh, it's on. Um, it's actually free on Hulu. So if people look it up, but it's this really cool doc, and it and it, and it takes place in China, and you see them like, you know, they're in a factory, but you don't know what they're making, and people are just doing this this mindless work and then they're in this meeting and then their their supervisors are telling them how you know we've we've we're getting a lot of returns on our products 
And um, and I think you know something in your blog that you really pointed out that was really interesting is you know, and I and I've been I've actually been so I'll read your blog and recently I've just been watching the McLaughlin Group on YouTube too. I don't know why I like that old dude. I think, but uh, for anybody that's not aware, of the PBS show, and uh, it, it's interesting because everybody's freaking out about China devaluing their currency, but it's like they're not really getting that money it seems like it's mainly u.s corporations who have outsourced all their stuff to china for cheap products like what you say don't last like like it's weird that i bought this tv for a thousand dollars when i was young and i think i've had it for almost seven years and it's like now the same size tv would be like three hundred dollars um and i don't really watch it and it's like the, the the remote doesn't work and everything else like that but it's it's kind of something that you always talk about is that, you know, the quality of products that are made now that you go to Best Buy and, and it's something that you reoccurrently talk about in your your blog. You know, you get sh- the, the products are pieces of shit. If they break, you get shitty customer service. Nobody takes responsibility. And if a, and if a store does take responsibility, it costs them a bunch of money and they can't really even afford to because they're not really doing that well either. And it's 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 this uh, this weird chain of, of of events that's going on with with you know technology and manufacturing that it's like you know l- you know getting into permaculture and like I just started using a cast iron skillet to cook in again um, because I didn't realize how bad Teflon was for you and apparently if you season a cast iron skillet it will work the same way as a nonstick Teflon pan. Um, so and it's weird. It's like if we go back to like older stuff and or the way that we used to do things before this global economy was became you know really kind of force fed people's throats when when was that probably the seventies when that started. Um, so it's it's just interesting to think about. Like I, I think you know people people always think that China's this big scary monster, but I mean I I think some, one thing that I love about your blog is you bring a lot of light to how it's, it's really not. And um, I think that uh, I remember one one blog you wrote, you were talking about, I thought you were describing the U.S. with the failing real estate or this huge real estate bubble and all this other stuff and everybody's leaving the country and what, what you were talking about were was China. And there's a reason why Chinese people are buying a bunch of stuff here and trying to move to the U.S. And I think... I think you, you do a great job in your blog of shedding light on that, which is why, if you're listening, you need to go to uptominds.com, subscribe to Charles's blog, go to amazon.com, buy his books. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe for my podcast on iTunes. Um, I am going to start. I, I have two RSS feeds. Try to uh, Most of the new episodes come on here. I'm going to start putting them back on the new one because my website's going to change again, Charles. So... Um, but anyways, uh, if also, if you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Don't be afraid to share. I know I'm a hipster and hipsters like the stuff that they like, and they don't always like to share it. If you're a hipster too, please share it. People will appreciate it. If you like me, please let people, you know, you like me, you like my guests like Charles and, and share, you know, it's free. I don't charge you guys anything. I never will. So thank you. Please give me your input, rate, review, and subscribe. Charles, do you have anything to add, sir? Just use your Twitter and Facebook accounts to uh, publicize this uh, podcast. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Charles, it was a blast talking to you as usual, sir. Um, uh, looking forward to it again. Maybe, hopefully, we'll be back to the morning podcast. But I, I did like the two beers format. I hope I didn't ramble too much. <laughs> no, I, I liked it too. And um, I'll have to come out to Ohio and try the um, the, the uh, gnarly brown. Yeah, we got to meet up soon. I know my my girlfriend doesn't live too far from you, so I'm sure it will happen here. We'll we'll do the away from keyboard thing. But yeah, if you ever are coming to Columbus, you got a good reason to come. You let me know, Charles, and we'll. Uh, We'll hang out. I am out. I am all out of vacation days for the year, but we'll talk about that off the recording. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, subscribe to Charles's blog, and I hope you guys make it a great day.